Well, this evening, I've entitled this message, They Are Bread for Us, Part 2. And my wife preached a message last Wednesday night, which, which was wonderful, and, and the, the, the anointing to proclaim and preach came on her. It was more of a preaching anointing than a teaching anointing. And, uh, and she was talking about that spirit of faith and about how when they, when they referred to giants as bread, bread is nutrition, bread you need to survive. And it's an interesting phrase that they used. They could have said they were spoiled for us. But they're, but, and, and they kind of were because they were taking their homes and their lands and everything. So by defeating the giants, they were getting wealth. But he didn't notice he didn't use something like wealth as the orientation here. He used food. He could have used many other phrases, but he uses the term bread or food. Why is that so important? Because part of our spiritual growth, part of our nutrition... Part of us having to grow up spiritually is facing obstacles and overcoming them. If you never face an obstacle and overcome it, how can you develop? You have to face obstacles. Life is about obstacles. It could be little obstacles like, you know, I have to change my tires this month and I don't have the money, so let me believe God. It could be something even smaller. I got a flat tire and I need to believe God for that. And maybe not all four, but just one. It could be that you got a little bit of pain in your back. It might not be a growth or some major thing, just might be something small. But if you ignore it and you never use your faith, you'll never, if you never face that obstacle, you'll never get victory over that obstacle. And then you get into a habit of, no, of never facing obstacles, always taking the easy road, always taking the shortcut. And then all of a sudden, something bigger shows up, and now you're not prepared to handle it because you never took care of the little obstacles when you faced them. Let me give you an example. Some of you men, some of you ladies, I mean men more, but ladies just as much sometimes. You know, sometimes some of you are pretty good looking. You know, you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty handsome. You're pretty, pretty cute. You might have somebody in that office. You might have somebody in your school. You might have somebody that starts to flirt with you. I'm especially talking if you're in covenant with somebody, like you're married. And, and, and there's some interest shown. That's an obstacle. See, people just look at money as the obstacle or health, sickness as an obstacle. But righteous issues or unrighteous issues, as the case may be, are obstacles. If you don't face that obstacle head on and crush it and embarrass sin, sin will embarrass you. It will. You've got to face, see, if you don't face it, you'll get in the habit of not really commenting, of not really saying anything, and then, and then, well, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're sinning. Yeah. And, now, and now that big giant faced you, but you couldn't, you couldn't kill Goliath because you never handled the lion and the bear. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. There was not just Goliath, there was the lion and the bear. Yeah. The lion first, then the bear, then Goliath. He had little obstacles and they grew in strength until the big, the big boy came. But because he had proven faithful on the little, he could handle the great. Right. And a lot of people, they won't say no to sin. They won't say no to, I'm not going to watch that. Let my eyes see that. It's just, well, it's okay. Well, I know their hearts. Well, I'll just fast forward, you know, the triple X sex scene and then go back into the rest of the movie. No, no, no. Those are giants and obstacles and you got to face them. Not just sickness and finances, it's everything in life. Life is full of obstacles. We've got to learn to face obstacles. So she was talking about you face it with the spirit of faith. And when you face obstacles and overcome them, it will nurture and nourish you like bread. You will grow spiritually. Like when you eat, you grow. You'll grow when you overcome obstacles and you'll be further ahead spiritually on the next obstacle than you were the previous one. So you, and the spirit of faith was on you to preach that. Now, I wish it was reversed, that, the, that God would let me do the fun part 
and then you can do the, the boring teaching part. And I don't want to say boring. It's not boring. It's all good. But I like the preaching, uh, not as much the teaching, but God saw fit this time to let her do the preach and me do the teach. Because as you were preaching last Wednesday night, I heard the Lord speak to me and say, I want you to do part two. He spoke to me just with that clear authoritative voice of the Spirit. I want you to do next Wednesday part two of this series, of this message. They are bread for us. And he said, your wife has talked about from the victory and the spirit of faith side of things and what is possible, but I want you to talk about what is required in order to qualify for that. Yes. Because it's great that we know that we can overcome them. We can consume them. If you've got the spirit of faith, you'll bulldoze over them. But there are certain conditions and qualifications that if you don't meet, you never even qualify to get to the place where you can eat them as bread. So God is so balanced. He doesn't just want us to have the, yes, we can do it. He wants us to know this is how you do it, <laughs> right? you got to qualify. Yes, and so turn back with me to the book of Numbers, please. Chapter 14. That's where she was preaching last week. So let's pick that up where she left off. Numbers chapter 14. And I believe it's, uh, it's going to be a different flow to last week, of course. It's not going to be the same flow, but that's okay. This is what the Lord wants. I wanted to continue the love series, but he said, I want you to do this tonight. Amen. So we'll just put a hold on that. There's more on the love to come. Praise God. There's more love to come. Praise God. But uh, right now we need to talk about this instead. So Numbers chapter 14, and I believe, where was it? Uh, she, all, all the way down, but we don't have to read all that for sake of time. You know that they're, they're saying, you know, all this good stuff. The people are saying all the bad stuff. It really goes from Numbers 13 into Numbers 14, but we've already read that before. So let's just pick up, please, where it says Numbers 14, verse 8. If the Lord, let's look at 7, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord. Neither fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, so fear them not. Now, you notice the phrase here, for they are bred for us, and their defense is departed from them. Now, th this, this is an interesting phrase. The word defense literally means their shade, okay? But, but, but it's, it's not... It's not totally that what it means in the root Hebrew word is a hovering shade and the inference in the Greek means a shadow or a phantom or a false god. So what it's really saying is they're putting their trust in their gods, their apparitions. The Hebrew word is apparition. Their apparitions or their phantoms, which are demons. Yes. Their gods, which they worship, and they saying, you know, protect us, cover us, hover over us, guard us from our enemies. That's what these Canaanites are saying. That's their defense. If you study the original, what it's saying is their trust is in demon power. Their trust is in hovering apparitions to protect them from their enemies. And that demon power, yes. that defense has departed from them. Amen. The word departed doesn't mean like you walk away. The word departed means to turn off. Their demon power has been turned off. That's literally what it means. You see how you got to study it so that you can understand really what they're saying because the English doesn't always do justice. Their defense is departed. Their hovering uh, demonic power that they are trusting to hover over and protect them has been turned off by God. 
That is why, because they have no power, we will, they are bread for us, which means to consume or to devour like you would food. We will completely overcome them because the power of their devil has been broken. That's really what it's saying. And isn't that what we say? We will overcome sickness because the power of the devil is broken by Jesus on the cross. We will overcome poverty because the power of it is broken. We will overcome mugging. We will overcome fear. We'll overcome COVID. We'll overcome whatever the problem is because the power of the devil has been broken. That's what he's saying here very clearly. He's saying they are bred for us for their defense has departed. But I want you to notice before he talks about them being bred, before he talks about the power of the devil being broken, he, that's, all the high, that's all the shouting stuff. But before that, he gives them a qualification and a condition. And that is verse 8, if the Lord delight in us. And then verse 9, only rebel not against the Lord. Because they are two opposite sides of a coin. If the Lord delights, you are not rebelling. But if the Lord does not delight, then you are rebelling. Do you notice the phrasing? He says, if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll do this, so don't rebel. Because if you rebel, he's not pleased with us. Now, for years I read this incorrectly because the King James doesn't phrase it really the way it should be phrased. It makes it sound like if the Lord's in a good mood... And if he chooses to help us, then we're going to be okay. But if the Lord doesn't really want to help us, we're going to get killed. That's not what it's saying here. What he's saying is, if the Lord will be pleased with us because of our actions, then because we position ourselves right, he will bring us in. So don't rebel because your rebellion is going to displease him. That's what it's saying. It's not like if, maybe, I'm not sure what God's mood is. It's not, that's not what the Hebrew says. What the Hebrew is saying is God wants to do this, but our rebellion will displease him and will, will, will disqualify us from his help. So don't rebel, rather please him so that he can help us. So before we talk about the bread, we got to talk about don't rebel and please him. If you don't rebel and you please him, then you can eat them like bread. But if you rebel and displease him, you ain't consuming nothing. Now, Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Please God. You see the word please? The word delight here also means please. So we know in the New Testament, if we're going to please or delight the Lord, we have to have faith. Now, what is faith? The opposite is fear. Notice how the phrase here is, only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear the people. So he's saying, if you rebel, which is fear, yes. you are not pleasing him, which is faith. Do right. uh, you see the opposite? Yes. They're saying in verse 8 and 9, they're giving you two polar extremes. If you please the Lord, because that's trust, and we can interpret that with Hebrews eleven six. If you trust him and have faith in him and please him, he's going to do this for us. But if you rebel and afraid, because fear and faith are opposites, and rebelling and pleasing are opposites. Yeah. So if you please and have faith, he's going to do this. And if you rebel and doubt <laughs> and don't have faith, he's not going to do this. So we know that in order to please him, we have to have faith. Now, what, do, what is faith? Faith is believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. So in order to please him, something about your heart has to be right, right. and something about your words have to be right. right. 
Do you see that? Are you following me? It's not that complicated. We know, I can give you all the verses, but I think you know them, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we know this is the word of faith, nigh you, and the, uh, the word of faith is nigh thee in thy heart and in thy mouth. It is with the heart man believes in the mouth we confess. So faith is all about the heart and the mouth. You got saved by believing and speaking. You get healed by believing and speaking. You get baptized in the Holy Ghost by believing and speaking. Everything with God is faith and everything with God is heart and mouth because heart and mouth equals faith. So he is saying, I want, listen, guys, make sure you please God because we know pleasing God is trusting him and having faith in him. Now, if you're going to trust him and have faith in him, your heart has to be right and your words have to be right. Now, all of you Israelites, your heart's not right and your words aren't right, which means you're not pleasing him, which means you're not having faith. In fact, you're doing the opposite of pleasing. You're rebelling and you're in fear. Now, if you do that, we're dead. But if you'll do the opposite, he'll take us in and we're going to have the best life ever. And their big response to this amazing sermon is verse 10, and the congregation bade stone them with stones. To all of that, they said, we're going to kill you. Forget about not taking the offering. Here, we just don't put something in the offering when you're mad at the preacher. There, they pick up stone to kill him. And God, the Bible says, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle. God had to come down in person to stop them. No wonder God wants to knock their socks off, Jenny. He had to come down in person to stop that nonsense because they would have killed them after the faith preaching. God has to show up because they want to kill the preacher. So I'm convinced, brother, that there are some people that have such wrong hearts, no matter what you preach, they still don't want it. And people that have pure hearts can't understand that. But the facts are, and Jesus preached, and they got offended, and they left, a lot of them, and only the 12 were left, and he said, are you going to leave too? So Jesus knows what it feels like to be rejected. And to have people walk out on his sermon, and this is Jesus. <laughs> because people's hearts, it all comes down to their hearts. If you please him, you're in faith. But faith is heart and speaking, heart and mouth. So if you please him, your heart and your words line up. And if your heart and words don't line up, you don't please him. And that means you don't have faith, which now means you're in rebellion and fear. So I'm trying to emphasize to you that we first see here that this pleasing and faith, which is heart and mouth, has to be right before you ever talk about eating them for breakfast. Before you ever talk about the power of the devil is broken. A lot of people are going on the crusade. All the devil's power is broken, but they don't qualify to walk in that. Jesus paid for it. So from that perspective, you qualify, but you won't flow in that. If you don't please him, if you're not in faith, if your heart and your words aren't right, you don't qualify for all the devil's powers, broken stuff, for all the I'm got victory, I'm going to consume the devil. You don't, you won't get any of that fruit. If the, if the qualification of I trust him, I'm in faith, my heart and my words are right. I want to please him. My whole life is about pleasing him. I don't care about anything else, but pleasing him. And I will not reject what he says. I will not rebel. I will not do it. I put my foot on it. See, people like that, they have a right to consume and see the devil's power broken. People that don't have that, you wonder why you get sick. You wonder why you get broke. You wonder why you act just like the world. You wonder why your life looks just like the sinner's life because you're rebellious. We've got to talk straight because everybody wants the preaching like last Wednesday and nobody wants the preaching tonight. That's probably why God did it this way because I'm your pastor. You have to take it from me. So he let her, the co-pastor, give you all the hoopa, but now it's a bit of a bend over. Because you need both. You need the spirit of faith, but you need the right heart first. 
You got to have the spirit of faith or you'll never win. But you've got to have the right heart or you don't qualify for the spirit of faith. So you've got to take a long, hard look at your heart. So when the Lord said to me, I want you to do part two and tell them the qualifications of eating them as bread. The qualification is pleasing me. The qualification is faith. The qualification is rejecting rebellion. The qualification is right heart and right mouth. I said, yes, Lord. He said, and, and teach them from Psalm 78. So turn with me to Psalm 78. Because Psalm 78, you see this phrase here where in verse, it says, don't rebel. Verse 9, only no, don't rebel against the Lord. That word rebel, most of Psalm 78 is explaining the word rebel. So you could take the word rebel and write above it Psalm 78 because that's the elongated definition of rebel is Psalm 78. So let's look at Psalm 78 so you can see the qualifications of what not to do. <laughs> Don't rebel. This is what rebellion looks like. Okay, so Psalm 78, and, and I'm not, it's long, so I don't want to read the whole thing because, you know, uh, I don't want you to turn on Jeopardy or something, you know, because you get bored. So let's, let's, let's go quickly, but I do want, there's only certain sections I'm going to read. You can read the whole thing on your own time. But I want you to notice here that uh, if you read in context here, uh, he's basically saying, where should we start? Let's just start verse 2 because you need to see the context of what he's saying. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children. So this whole psalm is about teach the next generation. We will not hide them from our children showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. You see, he's talking about the children need to know some things that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they would not be like their fathers. Amen. Now the rest of the psalm is talking about these rotten fathers. But this context is we got to teach the children so that they would teach their children and praise God and live right and not follow the example of those in the wilderness. So now he's going to tell us what they did in the wilderness. Because what they did in the wilderness, this is what Caleb and Joshua, Caleb and Joshua are preaching to these rotten people. Do you understand? The rebellious ones. So this is so that they would not do. Now watch verse 8 is important. That they might not be as their fathers, now watch the phrase here, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Now, the first thing, notice the word rebellious. See that word there in verse 8? A stubborn and rebellious generation. What did he say? So Psalm 78, 8 equals Numbers 14, 9. Because Numbers 14, 9 says, don't rebel. And Numbers 78 verse 8 says, they rebelled. So we see here, if you want to know what rebellion, rebellion looks like, just look at what these people did. So you could, are you following me? This, this is a, 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 an elongated definition of that simple phrase, don't rebel. And Numbers, four, remember, if you, if you rebel, you don't qualify for eating them as bread. So we got to talk about Psalm 78 so that you don't rebel, so that you can have victory. And see the power of the devil defeated. Because if you don't do this stuff, if you don't guard your heart, remember faith is heart and mouth. If you don't guard it, 
If you don't watch what you say, if you don't watch how you treat your leaders, if you don't obey God's word, if you don't stay humble, if you don't have a soft heart before God, you're going to see rebellion will crop up like a weed. And before you know it, you ain't eating no br them for bread, nothing. They're eating you. Yeah. The devil's power ain't broken in your life. It's thriving in your life, yeah, but it's broken in other people's lives. Well, why? Because their heart is not rebellious and your heart is. Yeah. So there's a difference. We really have to look at it honestly. So I'm going to give you 10 parts. There's many others, but I'm going to give you 10 main areas of Psalm 78 that shows you what rebellion looks like. So if you're writing notes, write Psalm 78, 8 equals Numbers 14, 9. That's both the word rebel. And then let's look at what rebellion actually is, if you wouldn't mind being gracious with me and letting me do this. Okay, are you, are you with me? Yes. Okay. So, rebellion, just one second. Let, let me give you the definition first of the word rebellious. And it means, which is interesting, remember he turned the water bitter and he called it Mara. And they ate the waters of Mara. They drank the waters of Mara. You know what Mara, M-A-R-A-H, that's the Hebrew word. You know what Mara means? It means bitter because he turned the waters bitter. That's why he called it Mara. And he made them drink it, these rebellious people. But you know what this word Mara, it means bitter and rebel. This word here, rebellious, translated in English, is the Hebrew word Mara. It means to be bitter toward God and to rebel against him, and to resist him. Three definitions. God gave them a physical lesson by turning physical water bitter and making them drink bitter water, but he did that as a type because he's saying, what you're drinking is your heart. You are drinking your own attitude. As bitter as it is to your taste buds, that's what you are in my taste buds. You make me angry. You are bitter to me. You are rebellious and resistant to me. You are bitter against me. So I'm going to make you drink what you are. That's literally what it's saying. God, God, God you don't mess with him. He'll, he'll just do stuff that you don't expect. Like you're, you're bitter and rebellious and resistant. So he makes the water bitter. <laughs> and rebellious against you and resistant to you. And he says, now you drink it. And you know how you feel when you drink it? That's how I feel when you talk about me. That's why it's a very powerful lesson. People overlook that, that they were forced to drink the bitter waters. But they drank it because that's who they were. Bitter, rebellious, and resistant people. So I want you to notice that we're talking about what not to do. So don't be rebellious and don't be bitter toward God. The first thing... <laughs> Forget about victory. If you've got bitterness in your heart toward God, if you're blaming God because your mother died or your, somebody else died or you don't understand why this person didn't get healed or I don't know why I can't get my job or I don't like the way the pastor's dealing with COVID or I don't like this and, and you start getting a little bit of an attitude with God, you start granting rebellion, resisting and bitterness toward God, you are in such dangerous territory. Uh, uh, victory is far from you and it will stay far from you. So let's guard our heart and not be bitter toward God, okay? Now, the next word is, notice he says here, a rebellious and stubborn generation. This word stubborn is, a, is a, the definition, which in the Hebrew is refractory, which is not a word we use very often. They were stubborn or they were refractory toward God. The word refractory means obstinate, and it means unmanageable. 
and it means resistant to processes. It means to backslide and it means to be in revolt. So when I'm giving you these definitions, don't feel bad. This is a good checklist. Look at your heart and say, Lord, am I bitter towards you? No. Okay, at least I'm not rebellious that way. Now let's keep going down the list. Lord, am I stubborn? I ask myself this as I'm writing the sermon. Lord, am I stubborn? Because if I'm stubborn, victory is far from me. Am I refractory against you? Am I obstinate? When you try to tell me something, am I obstinate? Am I revolting against you? Huh. Lord, you have to ask yourself, am I resistant to your processes? Am I unmanageable? Because it's amazing to me that when people actually ask God that, sometimes it's not a rhetorical question. Sometimes to your shock and dismay, he'll answer you. Today I asked him, Lord, and he started to talk with me, and he said, well, about this, you are obstinate. You won't change. I've been asking you to stop that. You won't change it. You're being refractory against me. You're being resistant to the change I'm asking you to make. Stubborn. See, that's part of rebellion. It might not be part of the, defi- the word definition. The, def- you know, the word rebellion has a few definitions. It might not be directly there, but rebellion includes, it's an umbrella word, and it includes all these little words. One of the little words is stubbornness. Stubbornness means you're obstinate, resistant to God's change. You're, you're revolting against Him. You're unmanageable. And God dealt with me about something that I have been resistant to because I don't feel like doing it. I don't want to do it. But I, I repented. I said, Lord, I want victory in my life. I want to see the devil's power against me broken. But I can't qualify unless I am pleasing, delighting you. Which means I've got to have a right heart and a right mouth. And I've got to be in faith. And I can't be rebellious. And this is one of the definitions of rebellion. Is that I'm obstinate and stubborn and unmanageable. And I'm resistant to your change. So Lord, I repent of that. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not telling you what none of your beeswax. You go talk to God. I'm sure he's got a few things to talk to you about too. Some of you husbands have been resistant and obstinate in how you treat your wife. Seriously. Some of you with your, with your appetites. I don't just mean food. I mean appetites and other things. You're resistant to change. And you wonder why things don't work. But I'm using my faith. Yeah, faith don't work if you don't have the right heart. And if you're in rebellion. You've got to match it. You've got to balance the scales. So number, really, rebellion as, as the main word is what I've shared you. Now, now I'm giving you some, under that umbrella, I'm giving you 10 definitions. One is stubborn, which is this refractory, obstinate, unmanageable, resistant to change and processes of change, and basically to revolt. Now, uh, look at, continue with me in verse 8. It says, stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast. Do you, basically, that means they don't have the right heart. Right, yeah. What is faith? It's about heart and mouth. So when, you don't, so when you're stubborn and rebellious, you don't have a right heart, and your spirit is not steadfast. That word steadfast means true. Yeah. You don't have a true heart toward God. You might say a bunch of things, yeah. but when, a, when all the dust settles, is your heart really for God? Do you really, are you willing to eat humble pie? Are you willing to change where you don't want to change? Is there true humility? Is your spirit true? And is your heart right? right. You see, notice this. They didn't just have the stubborn and rebellion. They had, a, they had wrong hearts. 
So we got to guard our hearts and make sure that our spirit and our heart is true before God. In this case, heart and spirit is interchangeable. So we have to guard our spirit, guard our heart, make sure that our heart is right and true and, and pure before God. So that's number two. Now, we go all the way down. I don't know if I should read all this, but anyway, let me see. I might stop if I get too, too tired, but just to give you context. So this is, the, the, this is the allegations against them. Their spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. Now, obviously, that is important disobedience, but I've got it listed later. And he forgot then forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. That's the Red Sea. In the daytime also he led them with the cloud, and all night with a light of fire. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers, and they sinned. Now this is the key. Now I'm, I'm looking at verse 17 now, because now it's telling us another definition of after all of this good things that he's done, look at verse 17, and they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. They sinned more against him by how? Provoking. So this word pro provoking is an important word, provoking God. Now this word provoking is, believe it or not, the same exact Hebrew word as the word rebellious. It's the word Mara. It means to be bitter against God, to resist God, and to rebel against God. To provoke God means you are rebellious. It's the same Hebrew word. They could have translated this rebellion. But instead they translated it, they provoked him. So even though it's a different English word, it's the same Hebrew word. So it means the same thing that I gave you in the rebellious definition. So we see verse 17, he did all these things for them, but what did they do? They rebelled or provoked the most high God in the wilderness. What did they do? They rebelled against him. They were bitter against him and they resisted him. Yes. Don't ever blame God for anything. Whatever has gone wrong is the devil's fault and or your fault. God has never had any hand in any misfortune to any human being ever in the history of man ever. Man disobeys and causes the seed they've sown to reap a harvest of failure. It's not, God. it's not God. So be careful. Be very careful before you blame him for things. Yes, right. And get bitter in your heart toward him. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I'm serious. Yeah. So this prov provoking word is the same exact Hebrew word as the word translated rebellion. Now, and they tempted God. Let me, let me read now verse this, this, this number. That's number three is provoking. I'm using the word provoke, although it's the same word rebel. But I want you to see another way of looking at it. To provoke God is to rebel against him. Okay? So that's number three, verse 17. Now number four is in verse 19. Let's read a 17 again. They sinned yet more against him by provoking the most high in the wilderness, and they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God and said, now this is one of our key points here. Are you listening? Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And behold, he smote the rock, and the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. And they said, can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore God heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. My, my, my. So do you see here that questioning, 
Can he do it? Can he do it? That's rebellion. People don't look at it that way, Jennifer. Can he do it? Doubting him, questioning him. Can he give us food? Can he give us water? So I'm just telling you, if you don't want to rebel and you want God's power to work, don't ever question. Right. Just agree. Just agree yeah. well, well, I don't know how you're going to do it, but that's not, the, my, that's not my problem. I just agree that you will do it. And I won't touch it with my thought life because my thought life will drive me nuts. I'm not going to try to figure out. I'm just going to stay in my spirit and just keep praising yeah. you. Yes, when you question him, and you doubt him, can God do this? Can God do that? It's equated to rebellion. So don't do it. You'll stop the power of God. You'll stop them being bred for you if you do that. Now verse 5, look at verse, chapter number 5, look at verse 22. This is the fifth thing. So we just see there that he's, they've provoked him by questioning, okay? Verse 22. Now watch. Because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation... Watch now, you've got to read the context of this. Because they believed not in God and trusted not in His salvation, though He had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna upon them to eat and given them the corn of heaven, men did eat angels' food, and He sent meat to them to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by His power He brought in the south wind, and He rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowls like the sand of the sea. Remember those little birds came? And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitation, so they did eat and were filled, for he gave them their own desire. Yet they did not stop. They were not estranged from their lust. But while the meat was yet in their mouth, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. Why? Verse 32. For all this they sinned still and believed not his wondrous works. You have to look at verse 22 and then at 23 and then at 32, yeah. there the book ends. Yeah, right. Everything in between tells you all the stuff he did about feeding them. But look at verse 22 and then skip down to verse 32 and you'll see a truth here. Verse 22, because they believed not God, even though he had done these things. Okay, so they, in other words, they, he's already done these things, but they're not believing, right. even though he did it. Now go down to verse 32. For all this they sinned still. After all of this goodness, they still sinned and did not believe him. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. So we could say that even after God has done things for people and helped, they still will not trust him. That's called rebellion. When God is... If you've ever seen God do anything and then you look at him and don't trust him, God says you're rebellious. That's true. Yeah. If you ever question God, That's Amen. God says you're rebellious. Amen. If you ever provoke God or be rebellious, bitter against him, that's rebellion. Yeah. If you ever don't guard that heart, that's rebellion. Amen. If you're ever stubborn and resistant and obstinate, that's rebellion. Yeah. I've just gone back up through the list. I'm not telling you this to discourage you. I'm telling this for you to do an internal checklist. Because this, this is important if you're going to have the spirit of faith. So one, don't be stubborn and obstinate and resistant. Number two, make sure you've got a, a pure heart and a right heart. Number three, don't provoke and be rebellious by being bitter. Number four, don't, when, when, he, when, he, when he did, don't question him, number four. 
And number five, once you've, he's done something for you or for anybody you know, for you to then say he can't do it and doubt him after you've seen his goodness is nothing but sheer rebellion. And every one of you, including me, have seen if God hasn't done something for you, which I bet you every one of you he has. If you're saved, he's done something for you. And if you're watching and you're not born again and you can't think of one thing God's done for you, but you can see he did something in somebody else's life and you still doubt him after you saw what he did, God says you're nothing but a rebel. So this is serious business here. We can't take this lightly. Okay, now let's drop down, 32, let's keep going. Therefore their days he did consume in vanity and their years in trouble. Now watch verse 34. And when he slew them, they sought him. And they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast or true to his covenant. Now this is this point here. I've got this listed as this phrase. He disciplined them. They repented. But then all of a sudden, even after they repented, they just started talking all those flowery words to him. They flattered him. Oh God, you're the best. And they lied to him because their heart doesn't. Let me, warn you, let me tell you something. You can say all your fancy prayers. You can say all your highfalutin words and how good God's so good. I hear people do it all the time. They say all these things and it's flattery. But if their heart doesn't believe it, if, if it's not coming out of their hearts, the words out of their heads are flattery and God calls fancy or flattering prayers rebellion. So some of you better be careful because I hear people, I'm telling you, I hear people, Jenny, over the years, I've heard people, they say all this highfalutin talk, but I know something in their heart's wrong. Because when they're away from the watchful eyes of the saints, you'll be shocked what you hear them say. So that's flattery to God. But their hearts are far from Him. And He says, you can say all your high, nice words, but I see your heart. You're a rebel. And the power ain't going to work for you no matter how many, much you flatter me with your tongue. Because what your flattery is really just a big lie. Right. So if you're going to say things about God or say things to God, you better mean them with your heart. Yeah. You better not just be saying it so everybody thinks you're spiritual. Right. You better not just be saying it to try to, to try to deceive him because you can't deceive him. He sees your heart. Even if your words are right, your heart could be wrong. Sure. Are you with me? Amen. So, this, I'm giving you definitions of rebellion. Rebellion includes flattering prayers, but your heart being far. So be careful that you don't fall into that trap. Don't get discouraged. We're almost done. <laughs> okay, verse, uh, we said their heart, verse 37. Out of verse 38, but he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up his wrath. For he remembered that there but flesh and wind that passes away and that cometh not again. Now watch verse 40. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? That same word provoke is rebellion, bitterness, resistance, right? When you rebel, you're bitter and you resist God. Now, it's that same word provoke, but now it adds another word and it's called grieved. Now, we've already talked about 
provoking, three, this is the third time, because rebellious is the same word as provoking. And then down a little bit later in verse 17, it says they provoked, which means they rebelled. But now he says it again a third time, provoked, three times. He's trying to get our attention. Yeah. But now he adds an important word called, and they grieved him in the desert. Now this word grieved means to vex him and to cause him pain. Yeah. I don't want to cause God pain. I don't want to vex and annoy him. It means to displease him. But I want you to notice what's interesting here is he knows that we know, the author knows he's already said provoke twice. Yeah. One in rebellion and one in the same Hebrew word. Right? Yeah. Verse 17, verse 8 and verse 17, he's already said it twice. So now he knows he's saying it a third time and he's boring the audience. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a broken record. I mean, how many times do you have to say the word provoke? So he adds an exclamation mark. Do you see that? What it is a, he is saying it out of desperation. Like, can you believe it? Yeah. He's provoked him yeah. and he's grieved him. Yeah. It's like a desperate statement. Yeah. Notice that, that when you see that exclamation mark, that's rare that you'll see that. When you see that it is said with a sigh and a pain. So I want you to, the, the reason I put this as its own point, even though the word provoke is said again, is because it's, I've added the word grieve. When you grieve the spirit, you're rebellious. When your spirit is grieved, when the spirit, when God is grieved with you, it shows that something in you is bitter against him, is rebellious against him, is resistant to him. And he's hurt. So... I want you, a lot of people, they get too familiar, Taylor, with the grieving of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was grieved, and it's not a big deal. Yeah, well, the Holy Spirit's a bit sensitive, but whatever. I mean, he'll get over it. Or, okay, I don't mean to grieve him. I guess I'd have to change. But okay, he's very merciful. But we don't equate, when you grieve the Spirit, when there's a grieving inside of you, it means you're a, a rebellious person. So instead of putting the onus on the Holy Spirit being grieved, put the onus on yourself that you're a rebel. When you grieve the Spirit... It shows that you're being rebellious and power has been turned off. They are no longer bred for you and the power of the devil ain't, is not being broken in your life. It's broken because Jesus broke it on the cross positionally, but experientially, you can't have it. Your life, your obedience positions you to have it, to experientially, by experience, see that power working. It's all provided in the heavenly account, but we don't need it up there. We need it down here. You've got to pull it out of that account by your words, by your faith, and by your right heart. And if you're a rebel, you can't pull it out of the heavenly account. So you'll just suffer. You'll suffer. So uh, please don't grieve him. If you grieve him, you're a rebel. Now verse 41, I would like to be doing the sermon from last week, but that's not what he said today. My job is to obey him, Jenny, whether the people like it or not. Because this is actually helping me as much as your sermon last week helped me. Because I'm shouting and saying, yeah, I got the spirit of faith. Yeah, they're bred for me. But now I'm thinking, well, do I qualify for that? But if I can just qualify, then I get to enjoy all that stuff that we talked about last week. Okay, I'm almost done. Now watch verse 41 is another power-packed verse. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Limited, interesting phrase. They turn back, tempted, that word tempted means to test. So really what they're saying is they quit. They tested and provoked God. They tested him. That's like provoking, but it's a different word. And they limited. Now here's the definition of the word limited, which is very interesting. To grieve by scraping. Hmm. 
You know when you rub something? Over and over and over and over, you scrape, you wear a groove, and it starts to hurt. What they're, the first time they did something, it was one. God's very patient. The 980th time that they've said the same thing, they've worn a groove in God by their complaining and by their, their provoking and by their whining. And that grieving by scraping, that's the definition of limit. They have limited him. To limit means to grieve by scraping. So God will overlook the first time, the second time, the tenth time, the hundredth time, but on the thousandth time? You've worn a groove by your wrong words. You've scraped him so much and grieved him so much that now what happens? He, it's not that he doesn't love you, but he says, I can't help you. Your words have limited my abilities. This is very important. You know, you're not even limiting the first time, the second time, the tenth time, but you keep doing it. You keep doing that. You quit on God, you're a rebel. You test God, you're a rebel. You keep speaking wrong over and over and over and over and over again. You keep grieving him over and over again, and you start to limit his ability to help you and save you and heal you and bless you. You're a rebel. And he he wants to help you. But the constant talk, wrong talk, wrong heart, wears a groove in him by your words, and it grieves him so, to the point so much that he says, I, I'm not helping you no more. I can't help you. I have to stand back from you. That's so sad. He knows the proud far off, but the humble he exalts, and he gives grace to the humble. But the proud he knows are far off. See, proud, see, it's a heart issue. See, your heart's wrong. Remember how many times I said their heart was wrong? Their heart's wrong. Their words are wrong. See, all this grieving is by their words. All this provoking, all this rebellion is by what they said. God can't do this. God, I want to go back to Egypt. Uh, Let's kill Mo. All of this is a provoking God. It's a quitting on God. It's not, let's take the land. It's, God hates that blah. He hates it whining, complaining. It's a provocation. It's a grieving to him, and you're going to limit him. Okay. So if you quit, if you turn back, if you test him, and if you, and if you grieve him to the point that you've limited his abilities, you're a rebel. That was number eight. I know they're saying, thank God we're almost done. I can't take much more about the rebels. Praise God. Number 42 is one of the most important. They remembered not his hand nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. Remembered not. Now, the word remembered means to mark so as to remember. When you mark the calendar, you are remembering something on that date is important. Now, listen, God is saying, don't just look at the calendar in the future and mark it. Look at the calendar in the past and mark it. Look what God did for us last year, Jenny. Let's mark the calendar. Don't throw your spiritual calendars away. Mark them up and keep them ever before your eyes. Now, the Lord said to me, out of all these nine things, Jenny, when he spoke to me about you teach them from Psalm 78, he only mentioned one thing to me in addition to the definition of rebellion, which is all of this under the umbrella of rebellion. He only said one thing extra to me, and it was verse 42. That's why I'm bringing emphasis to it. He said to me, when they didn't remember what I did, it showed that they had no gratitude, no appreciation. 
I'm telling you, he spoke to me in my heart. He said, when you don't appreciate what I've done, you are rebellious. That's right, amen. God expects people to show appreciation for what he's done for them and not to too quickly forget. And to remind, we don't live in the past in a negative way, but we should live in the past in a remembering way. We should mark the past calendar and keep it for our eyes and remind ourselves, look what God did for me. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done and for what you will do. But thank you for what you've done. I so, I remember what you did. I appreciate what you did. I'm grateful for what you did. That pleases him. That's the right heart. When you never remember, you never talk about it, and you forget and you start whining, that lack of appreciation equals rebellion. So everybody needs to appreciate. We need to appreciate. See how you don't work for us, you have a secular boss, but you still should appreciate the company because they gave you a job. Some of you take your health for granted. You're so used to being healthy, but once in a while you should say, Lord, I want to thank you that life and health is flowing in me. Thank you, because I see sick people all over me, around me, but I'm not sick. Thank you. Thank you for the covenant. Thank you that I'm blessed. Thank you. Well, I don't have enough money, but thank you for the money I do have. And I, Lord, I'm believing you for more. Lord, thank you for my church. And I'm not trying to get on my bandwagon here, but there's a lot of churches that don't teach much. I know because so many people come and say, I've been looking for a church like this for 20 years. One lady said 35 years. I mean, it's amazing what people tell me after they join. I've been searching. I've been searching. I've been searching. This word and spirit is life to me. Some of you should be grateful. Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you. For the vision. Thank you for what you're saying to pastor. Thank you for the pastors. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the worship team. A grateful attitude with God is huge. Nothing like ungratefulness to block the power of God in your life. I'm serious. Don't get into the trap of ungratefulness and, and being entitled and take it like you, like you earn, like you deserve things. The world don't owe you nothing. And the government don't owe you nothing. You get things because you trust and believe God and because you live right. And you work hard. Why do you think sinners that don't know God can be rich? Because they applied Bible principles and they worked hard. Lots of sinners are rich. More sinners are rich than Christians are rich. Because they simply worked hard. The certain laws work. They can be sinners and, and, and using their money on prostitutes. But if they've got a good idea and they work hard, it's amazing how money will come. Plus they've got the devil blessing them helping them, promoting them. But you want God to bless you and promote you and help you and give you power to to get wealth. Gratefulness is huge to him. And I always remember that. And I I often say, Lord, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you've done for me this year already. Especially in this season when everything doesn't seem very good and we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I was driving today. I had to go and pick up my motorcycle from the, from the shop for the maintenance. And I was driving on the motorcycle through Oakville back home. And there's a big sign in front on a church. This is a church grass, the grass in front of the church building. The church sign that should say something like, Jesus loves you or, or a joke or something nice. You know what they wrote on the church sign? Doug Ford is a criminal! Exclamation mark. And I'm driving by and I'm looking at that. I'm thinking, what are who these people are? And then I'll turn and then I see, oh, that's a church. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, I, listen, he might be, he might not be, but I don't think you need to be talking about it. I don't think that it pleases God. Anyway, let's just be careful what we say. We're not 
happy with everything happening right now and we're frustrated and Canada's behind and all this stuff is legitimate and true. But in the midst of this season of waiting, be grateful that we have live stream. There's a lot of churches that don't. Be grateful that I'm not in Florida having quit on you because a lot of pastors have quit. No, I'm serious, they have. They're frustrated. Be grateful, be grateful that we live in a good country. It's going to turn and that you don't have COVID. And if you did get COVID, then just be grateful that you don't have it anymore. <laughs> and be grateful for the blood that you're safe so that you won't get it again. And if you've never had it, that you'll never get it. Praise God. We have always something to be grateful for. Praise God. Well, you don't know my wife. Well, remember what she used to be like and be grateful for that. And start treating her like you used to treat her and she might turn into who she used to be. And we'll end it. <laughs> Number 10. Let's look at verse 42 because now I'm going to read it just because I like the Bible so much. But now he says, remember what he's done for us. Right? Verse 42, they remembered not the hand nor the hand of the, how he delivered them from the enemy. Now, let's just read about him delivering them, what they should have remembered, Jenny. This is what they should have remembered, but they didn't. How he wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. And they turned their rivers into blood and their floods and they, that they could not drink. And he sent diverse sorts of flies among them and devoured them and frogs and destroyed them. He also gave increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his, to his anger. He spared not their soul from death. He gave their life over to the peasants. He smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the, chiefs of their, the chief of their strength and in the tabernacles of Ham, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Remember in Goshen, the, the plagues of Egypt could not touch. And he led them on safely so that they feared not but the sea overwhelmed their enemies and he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to his mountain, Sinai, which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them and divided them an inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet! Now remember, everything I've read up to verse 55 is them supposed to remember. If you'd remember all that, there wouldn't be the next verse. But because they didn't remember and they weren't grateful, now, the last number 10, yet they tempted, that means tested, and provoked. Fourth time we see it. The Most High and did not keep his testimonies. So we see here, they've said it many times, but if you disobey the word, you're a, you're a rebel. Five statements are made in verse 56 and 57. Let me read them. They tested God provoked or rebelled against the Most High, disobeyed His word, turned back and quit, and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. And they were turned aside like a deceitful bow. So you want to you know what a rebel is? Uh, despite all His goodness, you keep testing Him and provoking Him, doubting Him. You keep being bitter and rebellious and resistant to him. You keep disobeying him, number three. You keep quitting on him, number four. And you deal unfaithfully with him. Yeah. And this is all, instead of remembering, they had all these things that they were doing. Interesting. So he, uh, he was displeased with them. Now the Lord said to me, last Wednesday night, you teach them from Psalm 78 what it means to rebel. 
because rebellion is a faith issue, trust issue. Trust and faith is a heart issue and a words issue. If you notice how many times it said they had the wrong heart. Notice how many times it said that they provoked him with their words, what they said, what they said, what they said. So listen, if you don't want to be a rebel, guard your heart, guard your mouth and stay trusting God. Then the spirit of faith will work for you. Then they'll be bred for you. Then their defense and the power of the devil will be broken for you. But you've got to do these things. Let me read it one more time from the top. We are not to be stubborn, refractory, obstinate, unmanageable, resistant to change or revolting. Number two, we're to have a pure heart and a humble heart and a true heart. Because if you don't have that, you're a rebel. Number three, we're not to provoke or rebel, which means to be bitter, rebellious or resistant. Number four, don't question God and say, well, he can't do it. He can't do that. Just agree with him. If you question him and doubt him, you're a rebel. Number five, when he does things for you and you see him do things for others, believe him because if you don't, after you've seen his goodness, you're a rebel. Number six, when he disciplined them, they repented, but then they didn't really repent because they flattered him with fancy words, but their heart was impure toward him. So be careful with your fancy prayers and make sure your heart lines up with your mouth because if you've got fancy prayers, but are not a right heart, you're a rebel. Number seven, they, uh, like verse 17, it says they provoked him, but with an exclamation mark, and they grieved him. Don't hurt the Holy Spirit. You're a rebel if you do. Number eight, it says here that verse 41, that they quit, they turned back, they tested, and they grieved and limited him by constantly speaking against him, scraping, grieving by scraping. And that caused a limitation of his power. Don't limit him. When, he, when you're limited by his power, you're a rebel. If healing is not working in you, something's wrong with you. Because God's got all the healing power in the world. Well, the preacher's fault. No, it's your fault. If the preacher didn't have enough power, God still has enough power to bypass the preacher and heal you. You're not delimited to the preacher. If it's not working in your life, something's wrong with you. Taylor, if something is not working in my life or your life, I have limited him. And it's usually because my heart and my mouth is wrong. Because I've grieved him by scraping and keep saying the wrong thing. So instead of blaming him and blaming the preacher and blaming the faith movement, why don't you blame yourself and say, well, I must be the rebel because God's good and he's never wrong. So if it's not working for me, something's wrong with me. You with me? Okay. And number nine, remember and be grateful. If you don't, you're a rebel. And lastly, number 10, when all this, they remembered all of this goodness and yet they haven't remembered all the goodness, but they, again, it repeats it. They've tested him. They've rebelled and been bitter. They've disobeyed the word. That's because we've already talked about rebellion and, and provoking. We've already talked about testing him. We've already talked about turning back. But the word I'm emphasizing in number 10 is they disobeyed his statutes. If you just simply take the word and don't listen to the word, you're unfaithful. Because it says their hearts were unfaithful toward him. You've got to obey what the Bible says. You've got to, if it says walk in love, you do it. If it says don't give the, no. If it says don't give the appearance of evil, why are some of you young ladies staying overnight in your boyfriend's homes? Are you listening to me? Because I just heard the Holy Ghost say speak it. The Bible says do not even give the appearance of evil. You may not be having sex, but if you're sleeping over and you're not married, to the casual eye, it looks like you're guilty. And it is an appearance of evil, and you wonder why God don't bless you. That's true. 
After all the preaching, I still hear people doing things, going places, that's a gross appearance of evil, and they think everything's great. Well, maybe nobody taught you. Well, I'm here to teach you. If you're not married, you don't sleep under the same roof ever. But I got nowhere else to go. Sleep in the park. Seriously. You sleep, on, you sleep in the driveway. You go to a motel. You ask a farmer and his wife, try to pick ones that don't look like psychopaths, and ask if you can sleep in their side bedroom. You go to a halfway house. You go somewhere, but you don't ever give an appearance of evil. We're faith preachers, Jenny. We're victory preachers, but you've got to preach righteousness and character. Or that stuff won't work properly for you. In a season of mercy, it will. But once God, once you limit him, God takes his hand off you, you're in big trouble. So, uh, uh, listen, if you're not married to a woman, you don't ever, ever, ever go out to dinner with her. This is basic stuff. I don't even let women drive me in their car. My own staff, I don't let them. Because it's an appearance of evil. I won't counsel. I won't even meet with Rosita. Rosita! Like an angel of God. The thought of Rosita trying to seduce me is about as crazy as we're going to have lunch on the moon tomorrow at noon. But I won't even meet with her without the door open. I'm not going to give an appearance of evil. I don't travel with women alone. I don't eat with women alone. I don't talk with women in closed doors because I know that I'm pure and, and, and I hope that they're pure, but God forbid anybody accuse me. It's my word against them. And even if nothing happened, God forbid somebody else saw Rosita and I meeting in a closed environment. That's right, amen. They could accuse us even though we're innocent. That's I was considering taking one of my female staff to Africa with me for a particular reason, without my wife, because she's not able to go. And, and, and I thought, well, Lord, I'll get a separate plane ticket. She'll be in a separate flight, separate hotel, maybe even a completely different hotel, like down the street. And we'll just, pick, we'll just meet at the church. And the Holy Spirit said, don't you do it. And I said, but Lord, I'm not traveling with her. I'm not even in the same hotel. He said, if anybody were to ever hear, Pastor Craig went to Africa with his assistant. And they heard Pastor Jenny wasn't there. It wouldn't matter that she's in a different hotel and on a different place. It's an appearance of evil. He said, don't you do it. I said, okay, Lord. Well, I won't do it. Some of you need to make a real adjustment on this. When it comes to the opposite sex, we've got to be very careful. When it comes to money, we've got to be very careful. When it comes to all this kind of stuff, we've got to be very careful. Because uh, you're a half step away from the power of God not working for you. And ministers need to do this more than anybody to set an example for their congregation. So you, your spiritual sons unto me, you better listen. If I ever, if I ever catch you with another woman, whether you've done something wrong or not, and it's appearance of evil, you're going to get a spanking. Because you are bringing a reproach to Jesus and you're bringing a reproach to me. Now, let me read the last verse to you. Now, 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 it's, now it's fun, Taylor. All the sadness is over and the rains have ended. The winter, the winter storms have ceased, Jenny, and the spring has come. It's 9.09. Let me give you uh, one last scripture because I believe it's a, it's a positive thing. But let me read it to you anyway. I lost my place. Psalm 78. Go round to the last verse, 72. Well, I'm going to read it from now, verse 70. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes, the female sheep, great with young. 
He brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he, David, fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them according to the skillfulness of his hands. Now, this last week when I was studying this, God took me to that verse and he said, that is the definition of the leadership and of the pastor specifically. He said, you need to feed and guide, but you feed out of integrity of heart and you guide out of skillfulness of hands. Uh, There are so many people that have pure hearts, but but no skillfulness. And there's so many people that do everything right skillfulness-wise, but something's wrong with their hearts. And then you've got some people that don't have a right heart and don't have any skill. What did Jesus say? Well done, thou good and faithful. Meaning, you you did good. You did a good job. What is that? Skillful. And what is faithful? You were faithful. You... You were spiritually right. Remember, if you're faithful, you're doing it as God has it in his heart. So it shows that your heart is like God's heart. So when he says good and faithful, what he's really saying is integrity and skill. You've got a heart and you've got skill. So my job for you, now that word integrity means innocence and simplicity of heart. Innocence of heart. I can't feed you the word if my heart's not right, if my heart's not innocent. David had an innocent heart. I can't be planning to sin and cheat on my wife and do this and do that and then feed the sheep because my heart's not innocent and pure. That's a qualification of a pastor. And skillfulness means to have intelligence. (laughs) It means to be distinguished mentally. Nobody wants to talk about all the mental stuff because everything's spiritual. But the Bible didn't just say it's all spiritual. He said, feed them out of the pure and innocence of your heart, that's spiritual, but guide the church. There's certain natural things that we have to navigate and guide. And you do that, not just by having a pure heart, but by having skillful hands, by having intelligence, and by being distinguished mentally. There's certain things that we have to do naturally. You need a brain. You need to use your brain. We need to think and concentrate. We need to guide with skillful hands and then I also need to feed with a pure heart. And if I don't feed, if I feed with a pure heart, but I can't guide because I don't use my brain, the church ain't going to work. And if I do all the right moves and everything's leadership and everything's great skillfully, but something's wrong with my heart, the church don't work. You got to have both a pure heart and skillfulness, mental skillfulness. Hallelujah. Praise God. We so focus on the spiritual, which we should, because it's the most important. But I think sometimes we forget that there is a skillfulness required to lead a church. Right? There's wisdom required. There's mental acuity required. Not everything. Errol doesn't sit there praying all day. You know what Errol does? He does a lot of skillful guiding. Just dealing with CRA takes skillfulness. But if we don't do that, we'll lose our church. So what's the point of just talking about preaching if we can't file our tax returns right? You see, there's a skillful guiding and then there's a pure heart feeding. So my congregation, you, I'm putting it back on you as I close, you keep your heart innocent and you keep your hands skillful. You approach me and this church and God with a pure heart and with a desire to work hard skillfully for him. And I'll approach this thing with a pure heart and with the desire to be skillful in the natural and a pure pure heartedness in the spiritual. Yes, amen. 
Praise God. And then God is pleased. Notice it ended the chapter, all of this negative, and it ended the chapter by saying, you all missed it, but David didn't. Why did David not do it? His heart. Notice, it's all about the heart. His heart was right. And obviously that means his words were right, because hearts and words go together. He had faith in me. He trusted me. He wasn't a rebel. He had a pure heart, and he used his position skillfully. He didn't do things that were foolish and that would bring reproach on the ministry. We have to have a pure heart. We have to have skillful hands. So it ends the chapter on a good note. So I want to encourage you. God wants to give you victory after victory after victory. Everywhere you look, nothing but victory. He wants you to feed and consume the enemies of God like bread. He, he's telling you the power of the devil is broken. You can do this. The land is before us and it's an exceeding good land. But before you say amen too loudly, do a checklist on your own heart. Amen. Am I trusting him? Am I delighting in him? Am I a person of faith with clean heart and pure words? Or am I rebelling against him? By, is any, any of these things in me? Because if they are, I'm going to strike them out. I want victory for me. Let's look at our hearts. Praise God. I looked at my heart when I studied this. And God dealt with me about something I need to change. So I'm sure there's things for all of us. So Heavenly Father, we humble our hearts before you. We thank you that you didn't just promise us great, glorious, uh, wonderful words of victory and, and power, but you also gave us the qualifications so that we can enter into that land of promise, so that we can see your goodness come before us and manifest for us. You want us to guard our hearts. You want us to please you. Without faith, we can't please you. You want to delight in us. You want us to be men and women of faith, of pure hearts and right words. You don't want us rebelling. You don't want us in fear. You don't want us doing any of these 10, th these ten things. So Lord, let the people hear it. Let them do an internal checklist of their heart. Let them have a sober attitude. Let them not think more highly of themselves than they ought to think when they listen to this. Let them humbly check their hearts and say, Lord, is there any correction that needs to be made? Is there anything I'm doing? Is any one of these things apply to me? Lord, I want to have a right heart. I, if, if I'm doing something wrong, I humble myself. If Pastor Craig said something tonight that stung a little bit, that maybe stepped on my toes or rubbed the fur the wrong way, Lord, he's doing it as my pastor to correct me because whom you love, you correct. So I will not be offended and angry and frustrated. I humble my heart and I receive the correction and I make the necessary adjustment because I am going to please you, Father, and I'm going to see victory in my future. You're going to delight in me, and I'm going to feed on them like bread. Hallelujah. So, Father, I thank you. Help seal this in their heart. Let them see it, let them receive it, and let them humble their hearts if they need to. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray and I give you glory. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. And I just, I need to say something, Jenny. Sometimes people, I say things, and then they'll, I'll get, the staff will get, a, one of the staff will get an email. Or I'll get an email the next day. Oh, is Pastor Craig talking about me? Or when I'm under the anointing and in a flow, I'm not thinking about individual people. I'm just, the Holy Ghost says, say this, I say it. Give that example, I say it. Right. I'm not trying to aim it sure. at you so that I can, you know, pierce you. And it's not, not everybody, nobody knows about it. Sometimes I am thinking about somebody, if God says not say that for that person's benefit, but don't say their name. But in the 98% of the time, I'm just saying an example. I'm not thinking about a particular person that that applies to. And I'm certainly, even if I am thinking about you, I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to rescue. 
So you don't need to worry. You don't need to think that I'm against you. You don't need to think that I'm, I'm going home to sleep tonight thinking about you and I hope they heard that and I hope they changed that. I don't do that. I'm just talking from the purity of my heart by the Holy Ghost. If it applies to you, take it and change it. But don't worry because you think I'm against you now. Sometimes that has to be said because it's amazing how many people, Jenny, get nervous and think that I was picking on them in my sermon. And I'm not even thinking about them. No. And now they've given, now they've given, uh, they've given it away. Mm, right. I wasn't even thinking about them, but now I know it applied to them. <laughs> because now they're all nervous. So just, just stay quiet, stay private, and let God deal with you privately. Okay? If I'm ever going to deal with somebody publicly in a real way, I'll say your name. And if I don't say your name, which I won't unless he tells me to, and very rarely does he ever tell me to, if ever, if I don't say your name, it means it's private between you and God. You talk to God. I'm not trying to play a game with you in your mind. Right. I'm just preaching because the Holy Spirit told me to give those examples. So just take it, be blessed, and don't let the devil work on you now thinking that I'm angry with you because I'm not. Yeah. I'm not even thinking about anybody particularly tonight. Okay? I love you. Be blessed.